0: Hey Sivan, Tafshinayin Zion, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Segal Network.
1: I'm going to go
0: Think of a better way to start a show. Yo-ya! Pugi, from their performance in the park, their last performance ever. That's what they say. We know. We know how those things work. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of The Israel Show. We are live. As we are each and every Monday, immediately following JM and the AM, 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time and around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time that we're on. Or you can listen to us on demand whenever you'd like via the Nachum Segal Network app or online at nachumsegal.com. A lot of people listen on demand. You know why? Because they can't always, you know, Monday at 9 o'clock in the United States at the Eastern Seaboard or 4 o'clock in Israel. These are busy times, but... Um, that's why on-demand is so fantastic. Our Facebook page, Facebook.com/ Israel show, we post lots of interesting stuff. We don't overpost so that you don't get uh, tons of repeats, things that you've seen already. Uh, we try to post only interesting new stuff. We post the list of all the songs we played during the show, so you can watch the YouTube videos and listen to them whenever you'd like as well. We're just here to make you uh, to please you and make you happy. That's why we showed up this morning. And hopefully we'll give you some interesting information as well. Lots of interesting stuff coming up. Stay with us. We're here for another about 55 minutes or so. Uh, Yonina is the name of a group. It's a husband and wife group. They started out on a lark uh, recording a song that in their home with a guitar and two voices. And they posted it. I liked it very much. In fact, we were one of the first ever to broadcast their uh, their material. Well, they caught on. They're very, very, very hot. And they've recorded several more songs, and they're going to come out with an album soon. That's just amazing how, you know, you have the Seattle Dishmaya there and uh, the help from the one above and um, your dreams come true. They just released another cut last week. This is called Adam Shel Halomot. We hope you enjoy it as well. My name is Mayor Wanger, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Segal Network. <laughs>
2: I am a She's in her heart, so look, I'm hot, and I'm <San> <San> <San>
0: Yonina is the name of the group. It's husband and wife, as we said. I don't remember the husband's name. The wife's name is Yonina, obviously. Uh, that's uh, their latest, Adam Shal Chalamot, as they uh, make their way toward uh, putting out an album. Such, so, uh, They seem like such nice people. You know, like couldn't happen to nicer people. My name is Mayor Wangat, you're tuned to this. real on the Nachum Segal Network. So we're going to do... Um, A longish segment, we'll break it up with some music in between, but um, I think at the end of it you uh, you will find that it was worth waiting for. I hope. So a few years ago, I had a thought, a question really, which I'd like to share with you. But, but we need to do a little background work before we get to the issue itself. I'll need to review quickly, briefly, the history of the modern state of Israel. And many of you probably have heard some of these details before, so for you this will be a review. Chazara. For the rest, it'll be a, a hopefully a learning experience. Okay, here we go. After World War One in the early 1920s, the nations of the world got together and agreed, amongst other things, that the Jewish people should have a homeland in what was then known as Palestine. What was that area? At that time, that area designated as the Jewish homeland is what is today the state of Israel, including Judea and Samaria, plus what is today the country of Jordan. That was the area called Palestine designated by was what was called the League of Nations, designated by the nations of the world for the Jewish people, for the for the Jewish people to create a Jewish homeland. Now understand that somebody had to like oversee this whole project. You can't just poof you're a nation, poof you have a government. So somebody had to see this whole project of establishing a brand new state out of nothing setting up the form of governance, setting up its national institutions, setting up a system of justice, a police force, an educational system, so on and so forth. Right? It's, it, 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 it's not something that happens overnight. And this League of Nations, this world international body, assigned the job of creating a Jewish homeland in Palestine to the British Empire, to Great Britain. They were given this task... They were given a mandate to do this, and hence it was called Mandatory Palestine. Mandatory Palestine. Well, they didn't do such a great job, what can we say? <laughs> several years, not too long, several years after the decision, the British lopped a chunk of land east of the Jordan River. They just took it off. And gave it literally, handed it over to one Arab sheikh and his family, the Hashemite family, and hence we have the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. It's for another conversation why it is that Jordan is some sort of a legitimate state with no question, and and Israel is not, if not for anti-Semitism. What what created Jordan? Why they a legitimate state? Well, back to our story. What's now left for the Jewish homeland is the area of Eretz Israel west of the Jordan River. All of it, including Yehudan Shemron. Now, the local Arabs that lived in this remaining land designated for the Jewish homeland—they weren't happy with the fact that there were any Jews at all. <laughs> Maybe, all right, maybe a handful. A handful would be fine, but no, 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 not so many, not not like so many hundreds of thousands of Jews who are coming and they want to create a modern democratic. No, 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 that doesn't work. And so the Arabs decided to use the tactic that never has failed them in the history of their existence. In order to convince the British to just forget about their whole thing with the Jews. And convince the rest of the world that it's not a good idea to create a Jewish homeland. What tactic did they use? The Arabs to convince convince the British to renege on their promise? Terrorism! Of course, rioting, looting, burning, killing, murdering, straight-out terrorism. If you think things changed you got something to learn because nothing changed. In the 1920s, in the 1930s, in the 1940s, the local Arabs waged an unending war of terror against the Jews who lived in Palestine. They killed Jews in Yafo, murdered Jews in Yafo, in Haifa, in Tzfat, in Hebron, in Yerushalayim. They massacred over time hundreds of innocent men, women, and children. And they did everything to disrupt civil life in that area. And the British just caved. They appeased the Arabs. They did exactly what we know doesn't work in this world giving in to terrorism. They passed what was called a white paper, which limited the number of Jews that could come into the land of Israel. Imagine without that how many Jews would have come and been saved from the Holocaust. But The British, in their moral insanity, decided to ban the Jews from coming into Palestine because it would upset the Arabs and the Arabs would go nuts and go on a rampage. And even after World War II, after the Holocaust, the British still didn't let the Jews in. The Jews who went through the Holocaust from DP camps coming in shanty little boats, The British still didn't let them in. Well, it just went crazy and the British just, after World War II, the British gave up. They said, you know what, we can't deal with this. We can't deal with this. This conflict. So it was now up to the nations of the world to decide what to do with this Palestine problem. See, nothing changes. So they had a committees and other committees and more committees and they send people to, uh, to visit Israel and they send people to visit the DP camps. And all this because really at the bottom of it all, besides anti-Semitism, they couldn't ignore the Arab world that controlled the majority of the world's oil. And so they had to appease them. And so the nations of the world decided to take this little bit of land that was left after chopping off Jordan and divide it into two. Partition it, leaving a Jewish state and an Arab state. No, not a Palestinian state, an Arab state. That's the way it was back then, because there was no Palestinian entity to talk about. The Jewish state that the United Nations designated, if you look at a map, maybe we'll post uh, these three maps, original, Palestine, after Jordan is chopped off, and then the proposal of the United Nations of splitting, dividing Palestine into two states, a Jewish state and an Arab state. That was the original two-state solution. The Jewish state was tiny. Ultimately, it was like three little separate areas, in the Galil, in the Negev, and in the center, tiny little areas that were barely touching each other, had little places to connect, and Yushalayim was left to no one was going to be ruled as an international city. Wow. So here we go. Two-state solution. Here it is. Everybody's yammering about that now. Let's have a two-state solution. We had a two-state solution. Oh, but of course, the Arabs didn't accept it. But understand the Jewish people living in the land of Israel had to take a decision. They accept chopping up the land, remaining with tiny little area, or fight? The left, led by David Ben-Gurion, said, let's get what we can get, and we'll deal with the rest later. And that's a key, and we'll deal with the rest later. It was a practical, pragmatic decision. The right, meaning, I just want to clarify that I don't think Ben-Gurion ever took his eye off Yerushalayim and Hebron and other areas that are the heartland of the Jewish people, and he even said so. Subsequent to the Six-Day War. It was a... The right, led by Menachem Begin, were against such a partition, but ultimately accepted it, as a, it was the will of the majority in Israel at the time. And as we all know, on the fifth day of the month of ER, this tiny little state of Israel was attacked by all its neighbors who would not accept a two-state solution because they just didn't want a Jewish state. They didn't want Jews there. And they just figured they'll throw them all into the sea so all the neighbors Egypt and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon, them and they called their friends, come on the Iraqis and others, come on join us we're going to kill the Jews Miraculously, as we know, the tiny Jewish state, which barely even had an army, prevailed, so much so that they now acquired more territory than what was originally allocated to it by the nations of the world. Okay, that's a key. After 1948-49 War of Independence... Israel actually expanded its borders beyond what was originally allocated, the tiny little allocation that people felt it wasn't even viable, was expanded. And the borders that we know from pre-1967 were the expanded borders. You can only imagine those tiny little borders. Those were expanded. And the war ended with a ceasefire. No, no peace treaty, no treaty at all. Just a ceasefire. Wherever the armies were at the time, that was the de facto border, the Green Line, what's called. And for 19 years, Israel lived within these borders, much smaller than what it wanted, and yet bigger than what it was allocated. Then, as we all know, 1967, the miraculous, super-miraculous event the State of Israel acquires the Sinai, the Golan Heights, and all of Judea and Samaria. And since then... This we all know. The nations of the world are clamoring for Israel to withdraw from those areas that it acquired in 1967 and give them to Arabs for them to create a state. This we all know is the two state solution. That's how we know it. This is the overwhelming consensus amongst the nations of the world. Two state solution, two state solution. President Obama, eight years, two state solution. This is also the overwhelming consensus amongst non-Orthodox American Jews. The 67 borders. That's, That's what we keep hearing. It's the 67 borders. And now we come to the question that has perplexed me. Why is it that nobody, but nobody, demands that Israel retreat to the original boundaries that were assigned to it by the United Nations? Why is it that land that was captured, quote-unquote, by Israel in 1948 is not under dispute? Yet the land that Israel acquired in 1967 has been under constant dispute for 50 years. And that is a question that we will hopefully answer as we continue our show. We'll take a musical break and we'll be back with what I believe is the answer and... uh, Hopefully, you will uh, find it of interest to you. I'm sure you will, actually. Matty Caspi, I have not heard a new song by, from Matty Caspi in the longest time. Wow. He, he is an unbelievable musician and, uh, and uh, very creative over the years. Uh, so many hit songs. He disappeared from the face of the earth almost, went through a lot of personal troubles as well. Came out with a new song just now. And we're going to play it for you, debut it for you right here on the Israel Show. Mati Kaspi, the name of the song is Az Yesh. And there is Mati Kaspi. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
3: Legamre, legamre Morid at Malachim bakikar Mamri mamriim, Khalil ha'ksemim, Menagendu sanova, Echatem lo, Echatem lo, roi.
0: Kospi. And that's the first cut from an uh, album that he is currently working on. As Yesh, my name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to the real Show on the Nachum Segal Network. So we are uh, back and discussing the question of um, why is it that the Arabs... Who are smart people, and they have smart people who know history. Why don't they claim Israel should go back to the nineteen forty-eight borders? Forget about sixty-seven borders, to the forty-eight borders. Well, interestingly, some actually, uh, some actually did. I found this answer in an old video recording that I came across on the internet. I've spoken about it uh, several years back on uh, on and the A. M. It's an interview of Israel's foreign minister, at the time, Abba Eban, by Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes. It took place around Israel Independence Day of 1958, 10 years after the establishment of the State of Israel. And it was that interview that gave me the answer to the question and ties in to the Torah portion that we read this past Shabbat. So listen carefully to Mike Wallace's question. Remember, Israel at the time, 1958, is tiny. Its borders are so untenable that many call them Auschwitz borders. And remember that at the time that this question is being asked, Yudan Shomron, what the world calls the West Bank, is occupied territory. Yes, it is occupied by Jordan. I wonder if there was ever an interview with King Hussein where he was asked about the illegal occupation of the West Bank. So here it is, Mike Wallace and Abba Ivan. Listen to Mike Wallace's question to Ivan in 1958.
4: Problem of territorial expansion on the part of Israel. A major Arab spokesman here in the United States, Dr. Faya Saig, says this. He says, the area of the territories held by Israel today exceeds by about 40 percent the area of the territories given Israel by the United Nations. Most of this added area, he says, was taken by force and should therefore be relinquished by Israel. Well, I think this gentleman need not lose any sleep at night worrying about whether the state of Israel is too big. Really, there is nothing more grotesque or eccentric in the international life of our times than the doctrine that little Israel, 8,000 square miles in area, should become even smaller in order that the vast Arab empire
0: should still further expand. So there Abba Ibn makes his um, his first claim against Mike Wallace's claim of territorial expansion Israel is just out of control he says there's nothing more grotesque in the world than the Arabs who control such huge territories endless, endless, vast territories asking this tiny Israel in 1958 to retreat back to the, the 1947 boundaries but we continue The fact
4: remains that Israel benefited territorially from a war, from armed violence.
0: Yes, I'm glad. Yes, you hear? He's very concerned, Mike Wallace is, that Israel benefited from armed violence. Oh my God! The history of the world has never happened. Nobody benefited from armed violence. Nobody ever captured anything from anybody. Everybody's exactly where they belong in the territory that they own rightfully by by some international uh, deed that they have. What a crazy question. But, yes, it's asked to the State of Israel in 1958. You expanded beyond the territory that the UN gave you in 1940. Yes, there was a reason for that. Listen to Abba Iban.
4: I'm glad to say that I hope that whenever countries wage a war of aggression, as the Arab states did, that they should be the losers by waging that war of aggression.
0: That's the key. He said it right there. Forget about the moral stuff, the other stuff, whatever. You waged a war against us. How do you think we got to to, to expand our territories? You wanted to kill us all. And now you want, we should we should somehow relinquish this territory that we, that we got? Why exactly?
4: Abba Ivan continues. It was they who decreed the method by which the present frontiers were achieved. They rejected the 1947 recommendation. We said let us have boundaries by international agreement. They said let us fix our boundaries by war. And they made the war. But much more important, even than history and law, is this basic moral question here we are eight thousand square miles perhaps the smallest state in the international community here they are eleven sovereign states three million square miles four hundred times our area and we have the fantastic doctrine i will admit uh, it isn't sponsored by any serious government but one does hear it the doctrine that this vast sated fat huge lavish arab empire uh, should expand at the expense of tiny israel nobody in the world need lie awake at night worrying about whether israel is too big so
0: i disagree with that last point i don't think you need to uh reach this moral thing of saying well they're so big why do they need more territory we're so small we should be allowed to keep it i don't, I don't know that i don't i don't agree with that part but i think the key was what he said i hope that whenever countries wage a war of aggression they should be the losers He says, we wanted to set our borders through peace. They decided, they, the Arabs, decided to set the borders through war. Well, if you decided to do that, then accept the results. And that was straight off, that was the policy of Israel after 1947, 48. In 1967... Not a week went by before the government of Israel began talking about trading land for peace. And there, I think, ultimately, is the whole difference. The difference between the area that Israel acquired in '48 and those in 67 is not the attitude of the nations. It's our attitude toward ourselves, which, which then gets reflected onto the rest of the world. So if the whole world sees that Israel is saying, well, no, we want to give this away. We don't really want it. We'll trade it. We'll do this. We'll do that. If it's your ancestors' homeland, Hebron and Shem and Beitel, if all these places you're ready to trade away for anything, well, then clearly you don't really find them to be so attractive, and your claim is therefore also not so strong. And once the other side understands that, especially in the Arab world, once they see what they perceive as weakness, not as strength, then they will come with demands, and demands, and demands, and our side just gets weaker, and weaker, and weaker. Because we've convinced ourselves that we can't deal with it. And that's why you have minority of Israelis who think that the Six-Day War was a tragedy for Israel. Look what we involved ourselves in. Look what we're stuck with now. It's all up to you and your attitude. How you view yourself. And um we'll conclude this segment after another musical interlude and we'll tie it all into Pashat Schlach and uh, the current situation. Uh new music again, another another debut. We're debuting all day. Joseph Kardiner hosts Ari Goldwag, our good friend, and Ari Ari's son. For a new song, *Kita Ta'avor Mayim. this is uh, the two of them together, and uh, Ari's son. Brand new, Yosef Cardiner, Ari Goldwag, *Kita Avorba B'mayim. It's a compilation of three sets of psukim from three different places in Tanakh. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
5: Itchani, uva neharot loish tefucha, ki telech ve'moesh lo ti kave, ve'le havar lo tiv arba, ki ani Hashem Elokecha. I'm going to be a Ani from
0: Nice stuff, Yosef Carduner and um, and uh, Ari Goldwag. Uh, the three parts of the song: first one from Yeshayahu Mem Aleph, Ki Tavor B'Mayim Tchaanei Uvenaharot Lo Yistefucha, Ki Telech B'Mo'esh Lo Tichave VeLehava Lo Tivarbach. The other is from Yeshayahu Mem Gimel, Ki <speaking> Ani <in> Hashem <Hebrew> Elokecha Machziki Minecha Umerlecha Al Tirah Ani Ezarticha. God is basically saying in all these cases, water and fire, wherever you are, I am with you. And uh, at the end is, of course, the Birch Koanim, which appears in Parashat Pahalotcha, which we read uh, two Shabbat ago. My name is Meir and you're tuned to this, O'Shawn Denacham Siegel Network. So we are reaching the end of our conversation regarding the comparison of 1948 and 1967 and uh, i believe that uh it is true my assertion my claim that the reason that there was no clamoring other than a little bit of like mike wallace and others talking about israel's expansionism is un- unbelievable in 1958 but in general there was no international yelling and screaming, saying Israel is an occupier and they must return to the 1947 UN boundaries and so forth. And don't forget that in doing so, in, in, in taking the capturing these areas, Israel took upon itself a large Arab population, which is today the Arab minority that votes in the Knesset and has 15 seats in a Knesset of 120. More than 10%... Of the, uh, of the Knesset so these areas that Israel took at the time were not empty and yet again those Arabs are quite happy that they stayed within the territories of Israel they have it better than any Arab as we know around the world now how does this fit in to the parsha so God tells the Jewish people, I'm going to bring you to the land of Israel. And they send 12 scouts, latura to Aretz to take a tour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same word. To go and scout out the land. And they come back, and they tell how everything is beautiful and wonderful, but... And the but is, but we can't just can't do it. That's not a fact. That's an opinion. We just don't have the strength to fight these people. They're too big. They're giants. There's no way. And they say, b'nei anak, min min we've seen these great giants, v'anehi <speaking in Hebrew> we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves that means we felt like a tiny little insect and so we must have looked to them they projected what they felt onto the other others, they might have been the other nations might have been petrified of them because they heard about what God did in Egypt and create Yamsuf and all that. They might have been petrified, but the Jews felt small and scared, and they said, well, if we think that we're small and scared, you can imagine what they think, that we're even smaller and more scared. And that's the key. What you think about yourself ultimately projects onto the other. We don't know how they felt, but that's the way the Jews were presenting it I'm small I can't do it they obviously feel the same way after 1967 Israel said we'll trade we'll trade you we'll do this we'll do that we'll accommodate you whatever you want well not whatever you want but but the Arabs understood right away That they're going to rule this area. Why? Because when the Jews came back to Hebron. They didn't take revenge on the murderers. They left them there. Not only that. The Jews didn't even take back. The land and the homes. That belonged to Jews. Before the Arabs massacred them in Hebron. In Kvaretzion. Which was a Jewish kibbutz. Before 1948, where everybody was killed except for 11 people who were taken to Jordanian um, um, prisoners to Jordan. The government didn't think about starting the kibbutz up again. It took people like Hanan Perat and others to pressure and pressure and pressure, and even that took years. In Hebron, even Menachem Begin's government refused to allow the Jews to take up life in Hebron again so by by our actions the governments of Israel throughout this time showed that they don't really believe that this is our ancestral homeland that they don't really believe it belongs to us and as long as we feel that way the Arabs are going to feel the same and take advantage of that sadly that's all I can say. That that that's the way it seems to me. Take a quick musical break and then uh we'll end off with some good news. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned today's real show on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is the Dudaim Second Generation, Vaivan Uziyahu. Stay tuned.
1: Daddy Bill Shalai, I'm to a
0: that's an old classic, redone recently by uh, the second generation of the Duday. My name is Mayor Weingart, you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, here's something interesting. Back in July of 2016, almost a year ago, ben- Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, went to Africa to summit with East African leaders in Uganda. You probably remember, well, you may remember that... <laughs> The fascinatingly funny speech by the President of Uganda at uh, at Entebbe airport that was I think we I, I think we broadcast pieces of it uh, so if you remember back to that time, what Netanyahu is doing is trying to reach out to nations that have not been in good relations with Israel or have no diplomatic relations with Israel, reach out to them and bring them back in to be on a- allies of Israel, to be on our side. And uh, this is from the Times of Israel, July 5th, 2016. 2016. Tanzania told Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Monday that the East African country would be opening an embassy in Israel for the first time. Foreign Minister Agustin Mahiga gave Netanyahu a letter from Tanzi- Tanzanian President John Magufli, which Dodomo's intention to establish a permanent envoy was expressed. I'm sorry, I totally butchered all those names. Um, at the time, the Prime Minister called the summit a milestone marking monumental change in the relationship between Israel and Africa. I believe in Africa, I believe in your future, I believe in our partnership for this future, said Netanyahu. We want a better future for you, a better future for all of us, and we think we can be your perfect partners. Well, last week... It happened, and Tanzania opened an embassy in Israel for the first time, and the ambassador, the new ambassador, presented his credentials as his uh, diplomatic uh, proper code. He presented his credentials to the President of Israel, Ruven Rivlin. So um, we're going to post a video of this uh, clip that we're playing now. I'm going to describe to you. This is, this is the, the, the pomp and circumstance. The, the um, person at the president's house in Israel says in Hebrew, Mr. President, I'm presenting to you the ambassador from Tanzania. And the ambassador comes and he gives him a batch of papers, which I guess there's some protocol of how to do that. And uh, and he accepts it, and that now he's officially an ambassador. And then they sit down, and the ambassador, the new ambassador of Tanzania, does something very interesting. So here's the first part of uh, of it.
1: <laughs>
0: and they're taking pictures and so forth. Everything's very nice. So after they sit down. The new ambassador gets up, puts a kippah on his head, and this is what happens. Ah, that's very nice. So I have to wear my I have to wear my kippah as well. Uh, because if you wear your kippah, it is something that you are going to say sacred. So Rivlin says, "Well, if you're putting on your kippah, I have to put on my kippah." He's a very traditional Jew; he has a kippah with him all the time. Puts on his kippah. He says, "Because if you're putting on a kippah, you're going to probably say something sacred, right? Something holy." And uh, the, the, this is what the ambassador says: uh, Try and see if you can, uh, if you can recognize what he's saying. Yeah. Baruch
4: yeah. Adonai Haolam.
1: Shah Amen. Amen.
0: It's amazing. People from Africa come to the State of Israel, recognize God, say Burkhatash Shamil Khimel Khalam, Shahiyanu, Vikiymanu, Vihigianu, Lazman Hazhe. Sort of, but yeah. That's what he means. Isn't that amazing? Where we have come as a people. We're going to end off with uh, Eretz Tovah. We haven't heard that in a while. Before we do that, we're going to thank everybody for listening. Oh, one other thing. Before we do the closing part, please keep in mind for Rufu Avraham ben Elisheva, good friend of ours. Uri Avraham ben Elisheva. And... As we said, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, an hour of great Jewish music, followed by an encore presentation of headlines with David Lichtenstein, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. We'll be posting stuff today on our Facebook page. Go like it. And enjoy all the things that we'll post. Links to everything we spoke about today. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Until next Monday. Immediately following J.M. in the AM. This is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
6: No laddetiba imatov imara shaba imtora shalom veesh ze masheyesh ze masheyesh eretskodesh zevat halav vehadvash bema no chelkrav tshahasheket ba goesh ze masheyesh زما <laughs> شيش Untertitelung